have for everybody here. Steve, thank you for calling in. Thank uh, you, guys. Hopefully everything's going well for you, and uh, we encourage you to call in whenever you like. All righty. But uh, until – well, we have a DSR tomorrow, so until then, uh, good night, and, uh, yeah, go blue. It's tough one. Here we go. They're going to kick the field goal. It'll be Jason Gingell out of the hold of Mesco. Good snap, good hold, and the kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Blocked by Corey Lynch. championships but it certainly ranks right in there close and it just shows you I think what we've got good football in one double-a football what used to be one double-a football we're we're proud of our football team and we beat a good Michigan football team right here on this field that's what's so remarkable about this I should have given you a moment to catch your breath because I think everyone in this big house right now is still holding their breath what do you say to your team with a performance like this it's just you know they just got blessed and they're just a bunch of well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh, let's get over it, folks. <laughs> Indeed. My God, the Arbor News is uh, still today. Law still lingers. I mean, yeah. good Lord. No, it's, uh, this is actually great for college football. Um, Michigan obviously uh, wasn't prepared, and Appalachia State was a good team. If you want to give out a brain damage award, uh, give it out to Bill Martin for putting them on the schedule because <laughs> this was a last-second replacement. Uh, they had to switch the EMU game around, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go into all the the gory details, but it is fascinating that it uh, actually is on the front page of today's New York Times. Uh, you know, Yeah, David, below the fold in the, yeah. uh, it's the headline sports item. You know, D David slays goliath that sort of thing and i think it's not the end of the world michigan can still have a, a a great season we we don't know they need to make adjustments but once again i'm going to give a brain damage award to lloyd carr and all other football coaches regarding the point after touchdown this is simple algebra folks 2n plus 1 n equals 3 if you score a touchdown and uh, decide to go for 2 too early in the game, which he did, and you don't make it, you have negated your touchdown and turned it in to two field goals. This mistake has been made many, many times by other Michigan coaches over the years and many football coaches in general because they assume they're going to make the two-point conversion and they're playing for a tie too early in the game. Uh, it makes no sense to me um, because if you do the math, 
if they get a field goal and we score another touchdown um, and don't make the point as we didn't, then we have to go for two just to tie the score. So that math mistake keeps being made by Lloyd Carr and others. And uh, let's congratulate Appalachian State. Sometimes the other guy deserves credit. And it's not the end of the world. <laughs> and all of the uh, clamoring for Lloyd Carr's hide. Well, that just speaks to a sort of uh, attitude of entitlement that uh, U of M deserves to win every game that it plays. And, of course, the games have to be played for yeah. the outcomes to be determined. So, And, of course, it's also an analogy to... Uh, Maybe what's going on in Iraq. Uh, the United States military is clearly better equipped, better trained, stronger. Man, this is supposed to be our game! Right. <coughs> well, it doesn't always happen that way. And uh, life goes on. Uh, and compared to the week that George Bush had and Larry Craig... I am not gay! <laughs> uh, dude, nobody's accusing you of being gay. Um... <laughs> What 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 a, what a crazy story! Um, well, that's probably part of the reason his party's dumped him is because of yeah. the potential to do so. He got thrown under the bus uh, back in the the '60s. It was Kilroy was here. <laughs> now it's always going to be Larry Craig was here. <laughs> well, the Republicans certainly have had a number of embarrassing sex scandals. And Indeed. Of course, the you know the the way they cater to the fundamentalist contingent of their base. Uh, makes it more likely that that's going to happen because of course a lot of those people are heavily closeted or you know have internal sexual deviancies mm -hmm. that uh tend to uh, emerge on the republican side of the spectrum well and i think that it's uh, an interesting contrast to the david vitter scandal he of course is right. the republican senator from louisiana who's been implicated in a prostitution ring um clearly a crime so to speak whether it should be a crime is a matter for debate, but uh, I haven't heard any clamoring in the Republican Party calling for his resignation. Why not? Because the governor of Louisiana is a Democrat. <laughs> and that would pick the next senator then. She does, yeah. yeah. So uh, this was a, uh, a classic example of throwing a guy under the bus. He probably deserved to be thrown under the bus, but this scandal is just funny <laughs> yeah it's comedy that writes itself uh you can't make this stuff up it's it's unbelievable you know foley ted haggard it just goes you know jimmy swaggered it just goes on and on yeah and is yet uh one more member of the uh r grand old party that voted for the impeachment of bill clinton there's that famous tape of Larry Craig saying, Bill Clinton has been a very naughty boy. <laughs> and I thought to myself, hmm, that statement alone has uh, interesting implications. <laughs> so Larry Craig is not gay, but he certainly is a swinger. <laughs> and, of course, when the bathroom door is involved in the swinging, you got problems. Yeah. Watch out, it's going to hit you in the backside as you walk out of that bathroom door, dude. But he seems to have known all of the <laughs> protocol uh, involved in cruising bathrooms. Bizarre. 
Uh, but yeah, it uh, just uh, it's a pretty just bleak week though. Other than that, uh, unintentionally uh, hilarious. Yeah, that added some humor to the week. Much needed levity. But we had uh, Gonzalez resigning on Monday. The Craig story broke Monday night, but became a story on Tuesday. Then Bush was in New Orleans on Wednesday, assuring the world, "We're thinking of you." Um, it's amazing. Uh, New Orleans accomplished uh, should be another uh, slogan of the Bush administration. And then, of course, on Friday, Tony Snow and John Warner announced their retirement, so to speak, putting the Virginia Senate seat up in the air. And, of course, Saturday, uh, the inevitable happened. Larry Craig announces his resignation. Upcoming. Now, when exactly is Tony Snow stepping down? I know he's got health uh, yeah, problems. quite soon. Of a serious nature. Quite soon, but I think Tony Snow is uh, leaving at the right moment uh, for himself. Uh, he's, uh, you know, justifying it on economic grounds, but obviously the next several weeks are going to be a firestorm of controversy regarding Iraq. George Bush, of course is in Iraq, he made a surprise visit to Anbar province, and he is assuring the American people that progress is being made. Well, in a way, uh, a progress of a sort is being made because uh, last night uh, was the uh, departure of the last official British presence in Basra. Yeah. This is a major uh, development, uh, although it's certainly not being seen really as a development from the Bush administration's perspective. But uh, that was the uh, the big significant partner in the remember the coalition of the willing. Nobody talks about that anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Britain was pretty much it besides the United States, unless you wanted to count Poland's 32 members or, you know, it was probably increased. But a number of small and uh, militarily relatively insignificant countries now are the sole components of this coalition. Yeah, and of course the rumors are that the Mahdi army will be taking over Basra. Um, Bush has certainly uh, made Iraq safe <laughs> for the Shiites uh, in the south. And it is unclear why on earth this mantra of progress is being made uh, uh, keeps being part of the mantra. Uh, there is plenty of evidence that there's virtually no progress. There is, of course, isolated areas of progress, and hence that's why George Bush is in Anbar province. But uh, the security situation is continues to be a disaster. The Iraq war has created an estimated 4 million refugees. Um, electrical service, sewage service, these sorts of things are uh, still non-existent. There is political corruption galore. And uh, I made out a kind of an interesting list of uh, what I call the, the differences between Vietnam and Iraq and also the similarities. And we'll talk about that in some upcoming shows because I think it's uh, an interesting uh, analysis of uh, why George Bush uh, simply has it wrong. Well, and it's, it's a valuable opportunity to, if you think about it, use this analogy to educate younger Americans who really have been given little to no information about the Vietnam War. It's not taught in schools, uh, certainly at a high school level, except for very, you know, marginally at the end of a year. Um, some teachers may do special presentations on it, but 
compared to the other wars of American history, well, this one within living memory is virtually untaught. Yeah, and I have about 30 items on this list that we can discuss in upcoming shows, but one thing is quite clear uh, in terms of the similarity. It's fascinating to, uh, one difference, of course, is the Vietnam War had a draft. Uh, this is an all-volunteer army situation, and of course the uh, reports continue. Uh, African Americans are not joining up the American military because they know if they do, they're going to be in Iraq. Of course, 40% uh, of the occupying troops in Iraq are National Guardsmen, an important difference. But it's this strain on the military that, uh, you know, Bush, if he's done any good thing for the left, um, he's uh, pretty much destroyed the American military in many ways. Uh, one important thing that I wanted to uh, note, and uh, this is a small item from the 7th, of January uh, by Matthew Wald uh, in the New York Times regarding war and cheap oil. just wanted to read this uh, interesting uh, analysis. Uh, Matthew Wald writes, Milton Copulus, who is the president of the National Defense Council Foundation, a nonprofit group in Washington, and lobbies for less reliance on foreign oil, laid out uh, the more familiar case when he testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, in March. The hidden costs of gasoline imports in 2005, he said, include $750 billion of military costs, a figure that if acknowledged and spread over all imports would add $4.05 to the price of gasoline. Um, and uh, this is backed up, according to James Plack, a senior associate at Cambridge Energy Research, an energy consulting firm. Iraq was providing nearly eight, or excuse me, three million barrels of oil a day before the United States invaded, and now produces about 1.5 million, about a third of which is used internally. And of course, we know that there's been smuggling going on. Uh, we know that there's uh, kickbacks and corruption involved with uh, the oil production situation. And it's important to remember, and we'll give Paul Wolfowitz a brain damage award, uh, he famously said um, back about a week after the invasion uh, of, of uh, Iraq back in 2003, that he said that the Iraqi uh, oil uh, stockpiles would, quote, pay for everything, and that uh, the occupation wasn't going to cost America anything. Uh, this staggering miscalculation... Hardly be further from the truth. Yeah, is uh, astonishing, <clears throat> and is yet another example of the blunderous approach uh, that the United States has in the Middle East. Yeah, a couple of recent articles point to uh, different examples of this. Uh, you can take your choice uh, of the headlines here. September 1st, the New York Times has an article, Civilian Death Toll Falls in Baghdad but Rises Across Iraq. Uh, <clears throat> another article a day later in the Ann Arbor News is uh, the same information, but given the headline, Iraqi Civilian Toll, Second Highest of the Year. Um, and in this second article by Robert Reed of the Associated Press, the uh, U.S. ambassador uh, to Iraq 
Mr. Crocker, Ryan Crocker, is quoted as saying, Since 2003, there has been a stable policy by the American administration, and I don't think there will be a fundamental or quick change in the American policy or stand on Iraq. He continues, After 35 years of injustice under Saddam Hussein, there are some problems since liberation, and the problems of 40 years cannot be solved in a year or two. What is important is that there is progress. He said this in Arabic on Iraq TV. These statements are complete and utter bollocks. I mean, if you think seriously about what's being said here, has there been a stable policy by the American administration since 2003? Yes, a flawed one. That's the only stable thing about the policy is that it has consistently been flawed. Um, a fundamental or a quick change, while well, the surge is uh, the, the only development they can uh, come up with, and uh, his, his reference to 35 years of injustice under Saddam Hussein, well, Gray Matters listeners don't uh, need to be told the uh, hidden history there, but uh, he tacked on the five years of this war uh, to make it 40 years. Problems of 40 years cannot be solved in a year or two. Well, maybe 10 or maybe 15, and maybe that's the stable aspect of policy to which he's referring, but... He probably doesn't get out of the green zone very much, I'm willing to bet. And after statements like this on Iraqi TV, he probably won't want to. Well, and he's being increasingly uh, sort of used as, uh, as a, scape, a scapegoat for America's failures in the region. And, uh, you know, it's important to remember At that... At least he speaks Arabic, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and one of the interesting things about a book that I read recently called The Best War Ever, uh, the, the book actually opens up with uh, an observation by an American military uh, infantry regiment uh, member of the Florida National Guard who points out that uh, in Iraq they actually warn the residents in Arabic about an IED on the road. And because Americans can't read Arabic, they drive right into it. <coughs> I mean, th this is how staggering the uh, ignorance is about what we're trying to do over there. Um, incidentally, the, the exact quote of Paul Wolfowitz on the 27th of... Uh, March 2003 is, quote, the oil revenues of that country could bring in between 100 and, uh, excuse me, 50 and 100 billion dollars over the course of the next two to three years. He made this statement four years ago. Quote, we're dealing with a country that can really finance its own reconstruction and relatively soon. Wolfowitz was, uh, of course, ironically, like Robert McNamara, appointed to be head of the World Bank by... George Bush, uh, what we're going to get and what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks uh, regarding Iraq and the analysis with respect to the quote-unquote surge is yet one more sales job by the White House. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's about selling the war to the American people, and we're going to get it, but what it consists of at the end of the day is uh, really delusional uh, propaganda. Uh, and it's scary when America believes its own lies. And I wanted to quote briefly from the book uh, that I'm that I just referred to, The Best War Ever. Uh, this is a, uh, a subtitle, Lies, Damned Lies in the Mess in Iraq by Sheldon Rampton and John Stauber uh, regarding uh, propaganda. They write propaganda. This is an essay that they wrote back in March of 2003, before the war, is often more successful in indoctrinating the propagandists themselves than in influencing mm -hmm. the thinking of others. 
the discipline of, quote, ensuring message consistency, quote, unquote, cannot hope to succeed at controlling the world's perception of something as broad, sprawling, and contradictory as the Bush administration's foreign policy. However, it may be successful at enabling people like George Bush and Donald Rumsfeld to ignore the warnings coming from Europe and other quarters. As our leaders lose their ability to listen to others, we face the danger that they will underestimate the risks and the costs involved in going on to war. They continue, propaganda, the British author Francis M. Cornford once quipped, is, quote, that branch of the art of lying which consists in very nearly deceiving your friends without quite deceiving your enemies. <laughs> and I think that describes it perfectly. Um, well, believing your own propaganda probably does enhance the ability to speak with conviction yeah. about matters that other people have questions about and that you yourself may, if you honestly uh, appraise it. And, of course, we're always told that Bush is a man of convictions. He wants to lead, and sometimes that makes you unpopular. And he believes his own convictions. Well, that is reassuring, but when you're uh, going 180 degrees in the wrong direction, it's pretty frightening. Um, and, uh, well, th there are no shortage of reports uh, indicating that the war in Iraq is not... Uh, cannot be characterized by, quote, progress is being made. No, and uh, another article over the weekend about troop strains growing. You talked about Bush's destruction of the U.S. military. <clears throat> the uh, Army itself is beginning to kind of uh, hem and haw <clears throat> and uh, actually confront Bush over this, these long deployments particularly, uh, soldiers being expected to do 15-month tours uh, with sometimes a year between two 15-month tours. <clears throat> of course, uh, today is Labor Day, and uh, I don't know, American workers have never, never maybe in quite some time, been in such a, a bad situation. Uh, I think I saw a poll recently that uh, suggested that 72% of the American people are worried about their economic future. And, of course, Labor Day is associated with work. Uh, we have labor unions to thank for, uh, as the bumper sticker says, the weekend, uh, among other things. And uh, unfortunately, in the last 25 years, really dating back to the, uh, the beginning of the Nixon administration, uh, I just read a book over the past week called The Great Risk Shift about how... Um, and we were just talking about propaganda, uh, how uh, the... Uh, establishment, particularly the Republican Party, has convinced Americans that we live in a, quote, opportunity society, when in fact what they're doing is just increasing risk all around the uh, map. Uh, of course, Friday, uh, Bush and Ben Bernanke, um, Bernanke uh, convinced the uh, American people that they were in looking at the subprime loan problem, and uh, we're, we're going to take action. I think uh, Bernanke made a comment, we will act as needed. <laughs> uh, I thought that was the job of the Federal Reserve. But it's quite interesting, the uh, m measures that Bush proposed uh, of basically bailing out about 80,000 people uh, isn't going to quite do the trick. Mm. There's about 2 million people uh, that are facing foreclosure in upcoming months. 
And this has been reported um, repeatedly over the past uh, year, um, the past nine months. For instance, back on the 20th of December of last year, a study indicated that uh, predicts foreclosure for one in five subprime loans, uh, showing the rapid increase in subprime loans and the number to be projected. Uh, the author, Ron Nixon, wrote, at that rate, about 1.1 million homeowners who took out subprime loans in the last two years will lose their houses in the next few years. The foreclosures will cost those homeowners an estimated $74.5 billion, primarily in equity. Um, this subprime mess uh, is going to need some attention by the federal government, but I would suggest that Mr. Bush butt out. I don't think he understands what to do or what the problem is all about. Well, <clears throat> it might be for the best if he uh, just doesn't pay any attention to it at all. Sometimes the things that he does scrutinize end up being screwed up. Well, cutbacks in various areas. Uh, interesting uh, information coming to light recently about uh, failures of the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Uh, and this speaks also to the uh, complete loss of uh, manufacturing base in this country. A lot of uh, items in the news lately about toxic toys from China, <clears throat> uh, whether it's you know printed materials or even foods, <clears throat> the paint on toys, the ink in SpongeBob SquarePants books. <laughs> My goodness, why aren't these things being made here? Well, because this country uh, has convinced the uh, people who own the industry in the country have uh, convinced the general public that labor unions are bad, that they're inherently corrupt and destructive, and that uh, it's too expensive to make goods here because of labor unions. Well, overhead profits are another matter and uh, certainly don't uh, receive the scrutiny they deserve. <clears throat> But it is good to see that a number of uh, Native uh, American, uh, you know, that is American manufacturer companies are coming back. Mm -hmm. And uh, that small manufacturer, uh, if given a chance, could take advantage of this. Uh, because let's face it, uh, have Chinese toys been toxic three years ago? Probably. Uh, it's amazing that it was discovered uh, lately, given all the cutbacks in the uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission. Well, and it and it also underscores how wealthy um, American quote toy retailers uh, manipulate the system uh, for their own profit margins, which is frightening. Of course, uh, we know that the United States, uh, it, you know, is part of this global trend in which the top one percent, as a um, study from last year noted. Um, have 40% of all global assets, and that the United States, in terms of wealth distribution, ranks second in least equitable distribution of wealth, only behind Switzerland. And, of course, we know why they're wealthy in Switzerland. They have those Swiss bank accounts Indeed. that Saddam Hussein, Mobutu, Marcos, and other American um, <laughs> American-backed despots over the years have... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, shall we say, buried <laughs> tidy sums of money for their uh, retirement. Um, and when you see a report 
And of course, this puts America in in league with places like Indonesia, slightly ahead of Indonesia in terms of inequitable distribution of wealth. This is basically based on a UN study. Uh, in 2000, the top 1% of the world's population, some 37 million adults with a net worth of $515,000, accounted for about 40% of the world's total net wealth, according to the UN report. The bottom half of the population owned 1.1% of the global's wealth. That is frightening. Well, another frightening component of this uh, is, let's bring it back to... Uh the guy who they call the president. Uh, bizarre article uh, in the Times yesterday about uh, an upcoming book about Bush. He's been given some interviews to a Robert Draper. <clears throat> and this ties in the, the propaganda theme that we mentioned earlier and this uh, economic uh, distance between the super rich and the regular working Americans. <clears throat> and just how clueless uh, Mr. Bush is. Well, when people complain about his clumsy syntax, uh, some people will say, well, you know, it's precisely that fact that makes Bush uh, convincing as a just plain folks kind of yeah. guy. Likeable. Likeable, yeah. But he is so not just plain folks. I mean, listen to this quote. He's uh, been reluctant to talk about his future beyond the presidency, but lately he's relaxed a bit. And in an interview uh, given last December, Bush daydreamed, reading from Jim Rittenberg's article in Sunday's article, um, this is what he daydreamed. First, after he's finished being president, Mr. Bush said, quote, I'll give some speeches just to replenish the old coffers, close quote, with assets that have been estimated as high as nearly 21 million which you and I will never see uh, a third of in our uh, combined earnings uh, mm -hmm. from now until we depart. He needs to replenish these coffers. Mr. Bush added, quote, I don't know what my dad gets. It's more than fifty to $75,000 a speech, and Clinton's making a lot of money. Then he said, we'll have a nice place in Dallas where he will be running what he called, quote, a fantastic freedom institute, close quote. Promoting democracy around the world, but he added, I can just envision getting in the car, getting bored, going down to the ranch. Well, that's great. Fantastic freedom, indeed. Yeah. Um, his vision for freedom is, is beyond the fantastical, but... The freedom to rake in money, of course, Clinton gets a lot of money for his speech just because people actually want to hear what he has to say. He's an engaging speaker. <laughs> He's one of the greatest... Probably of the last 50 years. Easily. Bush, uh, on the other hand, can barely uh, string together two coherent sentences without cue cards. Uh, very reminiscent of, uh, of Ronald Reagan in that regard, who, of course, was dubbed the great communicator by America. But, of course, what was interesting, and what, what, when you mentioned that, Tony Snow, when he resigned, uh, said, you know, hey, i got to go make some more money. Uh, I've got kids in college, I've got cancer, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, it was reported that he made $168,000. And it occurred to me, wow, you know, life's tough when you're making $168,000, and all you got to do really is show up and BS the media for, <laughs> for 20 minutes. Um, you know, I'm sure he's got other uh, responsibilities as, quote, communications director, but... Um, uh, this is kind of a scary development, I think, in America, that it, you're, you're struggling at $168,000. I can't make it. And I'm sure Tony Snow was, uh, you know, lives in a nice house in Washington, and right. yeah, he's got um, 
youngsters portfolio. about to go to college, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, a lot of plain folks around here do, too. Yeah. And maybe uh, it would be nice if, uh, if Bush and Snow, <laughs> working together at the Freedom Institute, whatever that... Fantastic Freedom Institute. 